Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to ask that you listen very carefully this morning so that nothing is misunderstood. The title of this morning's message is Biblical Philanthropy. And no, this is not a message about what you ought to put in the offering plate, uh, as that may be uh, your first thought. Uh, because normally when we think of philanthropy, we think of a very wealthy individual giving uh, to help others. And, and there's been many, many different ideas. And usually when you try to understand a word, the best place to start, it's by no means the ends of your, should be the end of your search, is start with a good dictionary. And uh, so I looked up the word philanthropy in the Oxford English Dictionary. That's not the little one-volume set you buy at the store. It's a 23-volume set you find in a library. And uh, it gave, as the definition, the love of mankind or living for the benefit of humanity. Now, that was definition number one. The second definition of philanthropy... And this is, again, not your Bible. This is the Oxford English Dictionary. The love of God toward men. And so now somebody actually understands the meaning of words. Amen? Uh, we, we live in a time period where words no longer mean anything. And so we've got to define them. We've got to spend a little time working with them but for, if, if we're going to have philanthropy, then it's got to be for the good of those around you. Now, we have many ideas of philanthropy. How many remember the story of the Tower of Babel out of Genesis chapter 11? Now, if you don't know that story, come for Sunday school at 1030 and we'll go through that. We're almost about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament, and then we'll just start the Old Testament again. Uh, probably sometime toward this fall, we'll be starting the Old Testament again. But the Tower of Babel was Nimrod's idea of protecting humanity. Let's all stay together so that we're not scattered, so that we can have collective authority and power and protect ourselves and, of course, it was all according to Mr. Nimrod uh, how that would be done best. And God kind of messed that thing up. Uh, if we have any scholars here, people who love works of great antiquity, you would have heard of Plato's Republic. Do you know that that was really based on what Mr. Plato thought was best for all mankind? And... In order for mankind to really work and be its best, according to Mr. Plato, you had to have a class of slaves who served everyone else. Um, we had a president just a little while back that claimed to be a Rhodes Scholar. Does anybody know who Mr. Rhodes really was? Mr. Rhodes went to South Africa. And if you want to know why we have apartheid and why we have all the bloodshed and all of the history of human depravity in South Africa, it was because of Mr. Rhodes' philanthropy. 
He was going to build a nation that was heaven on earth. He was going to reshape that people and make that a place. And of course, he understood that South Africa had the necessary resources in order to finance his philanthropy, diamonds. Did it work? No. How about colonialism? That's where the great learned powers of the West went to all parts of the world and subjugated people and tried to make their life better. Uh, In some cases, they did make life a little better. But was it really the best answer? No. And then we have communism. You know, that's really for the benefit of all people, isn't it? Oh, if you believe that, see me afterwards. We'll sign you up for special counseling and help you. Um, See, the problem is, in communism and all of these ideas, that one man or one group of men needed to be in control of everything so that they could help everybody. There's only one problem with that. Once that man or that group of men or or women or whatever group of people get in control of everything, who are they going to serve first? You see, the Bible describes the greatest problem with human philanthropy. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, the end of all human philanthropy ends in this idea of selfishness. And we can take this even into a biblical realm. Back in the early uh, 1800s, many missionaries went from this country to other nations. and, And they were just literally overwhelmed by the starving masses of people that live there and they begin to feed the hungry people. And let me tell you something, I'm for feeding hungry people. But you know what they developed? They developed a term that came to be known as rice Christians in the Orient. They were Christians as long as there was rice. Now that kind of philanthropy is not beneficial because it's just another way of enslaving people. It's making them your servants as long as you feed them. Now, what we want to do is we want to deal with biblical philanthropy because it's the only kind that really does any good. We take the picture of God's love for mankind. Now, we're going to be actually dealing, and I want you to pray with me in your seat as we go through this because I have literally hundreds of Bible verses just running through my head right now, and and I don't want to confuse things this morning. And we're not going to look at a great deal of Scripture, though we are going to um, cover many, many passages of Scripture. Of course, the greatest verse in the Bible, the simplest one that describes God's philanthropy, John 3.16, say it with me if you know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
You see, in true philanthropy, you are giving to people what is going to be best for them, what is really going to help them. And if you don't mind, I I might just include a little bit of American history here as a way of illustration, because if we want to just look honestly at history, there has been no nation under the face of this earth that has been more philanthropic, that has been more giving than the United States of America. Would you agree with me on that? I don't know of any other nation. And I'm not ashamed of America's goodness and its, and its willingness to help other people. And I'll be the first one to tell you not all of America's philanthropy has been good. Uh, because just giving people things does not solve problems. May I use an example? The lottery. I mean, when you win the lottery, all your problems are over, right? Well, that's what the commercials say. I've got a folder full of clippings, and if anybody finds some of those lottery stories, clip them out of the newspaper, magazine, bring them in, I'll put them in my folder. I I just like to collect things like that. But lottery winners is a story, a history of tragedy. People who were really messed up and win the lottery find out they had no idea of what messed up was. And people who were average Joe and really living a pretty good life and won the lottery found out that that didn't solve any problems. It just created a whole lot more. And we get this idea of God that somehow he's sitting up there in heaven and he's just going to give us everything we want. I want to tell you that doesn't work, never has, and that's never been God's intention. That's why we're going to work through this passage in the book of Galatians here. But I I want us to just start out with this point, this principle, that true philanthropy provides that which is unattainable by any means. Now let me illustrate that. When this country was founded, we brought people who were immigrants, mostly from European nations, over to this country. What could not they obtain? Number one, there was no land to obtain. There was no right of property ownership. The property of Europe was already owned and had been owned by centuries by the feudal lords and kings. Private property was unobtainable. What was the first thing that happened when people got here? They were given land, were they not? Now, what was the second thing that was absolutely unobtainable in Europe? There were no natural resources left to exploit. They were here. And so people would come here and they would ship back goods. And you study the history. Study the history of the pilgrims. They were the world's worst businessmen. I mean, boy, I'll tell you what. They squandered a fortune. They paid back everything that they were supposed to pay back, but 
if they'd just been a little more active, they could have owned what is now Massachusetts. Well, who would want that anyway? But um, we'll keep moving on here. Um, But you see, there was something provided for them here in America that they could not obtain by any means by living in Europe. Now, I want to put this in the spiritual realm. You see, there is something that God has provided that is unattainable under any possibility of man. And, of course, most of you know what that is. That is the forgiveness of sins. Only God could provide for the forgiveness of sins. There is nothing any religion any exercise of man, any ceremony, any, any effort that man has ever expended that can erase one act of disobedience toward God. And yet Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to earth, lived a perfect life, never once transgressed, one, and somebody's going to say, of the Ten Commandments. No, of the 613 laws of the Old Testament. Don't forget, the Ten Commandments was the covenant, the preamble. There were 603 other laws in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ never transgressed one. He fulfilled the law. He paid for it so that you and I could be free from the debt that we owed. That's why he died on the cross. Because... The forgiveness of sins is totally unattainable by human effort. That's what John 3.16 is all about. But you see, just giving people something does not solve the problem any more than giving a poor homeless man $50 million lottery card. There's got to be something else attached to that. Now, that's why I want to read Galatians chapter 6. Let's just start in verse 1. And we're going to go down through verse 9. And this passage, understand, is primarily talking to Christians. But it is uh, here a picture, an illustration, helping us understand God's scope of His work to mankind. Brethren... If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, this passage is directed toward Christians in the church here in Galatia, which would be modern-day Turkey. 
And, and he's telling the Galatians there, if you see a brother that is overtaken in a fault, if you see another member of your church that is struggling with sin, get alongside that person, help bear their burdens, lift them up where they cannot. And it says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, the law of Christ was that he bore our burdens on Calvary because that was something you and I could not do. The wages of sin is death. Now, wages is something we earn, is it not? It is something we deserve. It would be something that would be illegal to withhold from you. And God in His holiness and God in His judgment and His justice says that we have earned death with our sin. And there, therefore, He took our death when He died on the cross. Some religions have tried to relegate the death of Christ to taking care of one sin. But the Bible says He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for every sin so that we could be free because that was unattainable. But what comes next is that in the principle of true philanthropy, what actually is best for mankind, what cannot be obtained must be given. But what can be obtained by honest labor must be the reward of the individual laborer. Now, that's just a principle. I sit on the board of directors of a Bible college. And my three of my children are students there. And I get to hear a lot of things. Uh, and information, and I love watching the students come and grow, but I'll tell you there's a difference between the students who are working for it and the students that have everything paid for them. Huge difference. That's one of the reasons why I want my kids to sweat a little. And I don't have the money to pay for it anyway. But I want them to earn their education because without that, having things becomes meaningless. How many of you have learned that the hard way since you grew up? My barber used to have a sign when I was a kid, teenager. It said, go ahead, leave home, pay all your own bills while you still know everything. Used to wonder what that meant. Didn't take long to figure it out, let me tell you. But you see, there is this idea that each person, and we read it right here, 
Verse 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Imitate what Jesus Christ did as He bore our burdens for us in obtaining that which was not possible. And how many human beings cannot get themselves out of the mess they're in, cannot see through the struggles that they're doing if someone would just come along and give them an arm to lean on, give them a helping hand. It will allow them to do what they could never ever do on their own. Amen? This is what really helps people. But... I hate to bring up all these psychological terms, but they're what they are. How many people know what codependency is? Oh, my goodness. What a subject to bring up on Sunday morning. But that's what happens when you do everything for somebody. They stop living on their own and you have to live for them. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, I'll tell you what, it's the, it is emotional strangulation is really what it is. I mean, it just wears you out like nothing else. And, and you try over and over and over again to live this person's life and you can't do it. Because if you're really going to help someone, if it's going to be true philanthropy, if you really love someone, It says here, but every man, but let every man prove his own work. It is so much fun watching the little ones learn how to walk. And Jason is just starting. Oh, he is hilarious. I mean, he, when he started crawling, he would crawl with one leg stuck out because he was trying to walk while he was crawling. And he finally got one of those little things he holds on to, and I mean, he'll just push that all around, and every once in a while he'll let go, and he'll just stand there and stare. And then it won't be too long before he sits down. You know what? You've got to let them fall a few times so that they can learn... It doesn't hurt that bad. And then they learn to stand up and they try to take on their own and then they take their first step. And uh, every one of those kids was different. I mean, it's, it's been... I remember one of them. I can't remember which one exactly it was. Took his first real step when he was like seven and a half or eight months, and then sat down and would not even try until he turned 13 months. But you know what? That's okay. Because each one has to prove their own burden. Each one has to learn to stand on their own two feet or they're going to be nothing more than someone else's slave. You see, real freedom is granted to an individual when they are given that they cannot obtain, but 
when they are allowed to retain that which they earn. Uh, you might want to call that capitalism. Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you what. Capitalism without character, and this is point number three, is greed. And it's just as destructive as communism or anything else is. You see, you have to have three things if you're really going to help somebody. Number one, you've got to give them that which is unobtainable. In American history, it was the ability to own land and natural resources. You have to allow what can be obtained by honest labor to be the reward of the laborer. That's what made America the richest nation on the face of the earth. Not because it had rich individuals controlling everything, but because each individual in this nation was rich in the early days. But it is a, you must provide a system which demands responsibility for personal actions. We call this character. You know, we live in a day where you're rewarded for being a character instead of having it. Isn't that true? I mean, who's the news all about right now? What, what, what is his name? Martin Sheen? I, I hate even mentioning that name from the pulpit. Just a dirty, filthy man. He wouldn't be in the news if he wasn't such a ridiculous wretch of a human being, now would he? And he's being rewarded because that helps him. The more he's in the news, the more chance he's got of getting another part in something. We reward people for being characters, for being a character of all of our problems. I think and you may forgive me for this, I might be wrong, this is just my opinion, but I think one of the reasons Michael Jackson was so popular, because no matter how messed up you were, all you had to do was take one look and say, I'm better than that. And you say, you're being sarcastic. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to get you to think about some things this morning. You think we live in a system which tells you that you have emotional problems because your parents didn't treat you right. Um, that you've been deprived of your economic success because of government laws that reward the rich and steal from the poor. No, that's what the lottery does. It steals from the poor. Because they're the people that buy the tickets. Listen, in American history, we used to have this thing called a constitutional republic. It demanded individual representation and individual participation. Now, God had something a little better than that because we are at this point seeing a crisis in our constitutional republic because it's no longer that. And we're not going into all the politics and things today. 
but the lawmakers refuse to make laws. The executive refuses to enforce the laws that are in the book. Have you ever noticed? Last count I heard two and a half million laws on the federal law books. I like what one preacher said many years ago. Two and a half million laws in the federal law books. Each one of them tried to enforce the Ten Commandments. And you know what? That's a pretty good way of looking at it, isn't it? Are we doing a good job? No. But let me tell you, God has a system. It's outlined here in verses 7 and 8. It says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When I was a kid, we planted big gardens. And you know what we got out of the tomato patch when we put tomato plants in there? Corn, right? No. When you put tomatoes in the tomato plants in the ground, uh, as long as you kept the tomato worms and the turtles and, and uh, the insects and all the things out of there, you got tomatoes. When you put corn in the ground, guess what grew? Corn. Unless one of us went by and said, Dad, that looks like grass, and started pulling it out, then we'd get in trouble. But you plant and you get what you plant. God says in your life you're going to take personal responsibility. You ever wonder sometimes why there's so much sorrow in the world in which we live? Um, Part of it is this right here. When we ignore God in our life decisions, when we decide to live our own way, when we turn our back on the things that the Bible says, there are consequences. Now, I want to tell you something. God already bore that burden on Calvary so we can have forgiveness. There is no reason that any human being has to go to a place called hell because Jesus bore that burden. But if you want to know what real philanthropy should do, look at what God has done for the human race. He has given us something that we cannot obtain. That is the forgiveness of our sins. He has allowed us to serve Him. Why do you think God left us here after we get saved? Wouldn't it really be nice if we prayed, got saved, and right to heaven? No more struggles, no more problems. Uh Uh-uh. Because that doesn't help who we are. That doesn't build us as individuals. It is that struggle, it is that labor that God has left for us to do. It is that learning to get along and to love others. Love is a learned behavior, my friend. And it ought to be practiced by the Christian because if you can understand how much God loved you to send Jesus Christ to the cross, there's not another human being that you cannot learn to put up with through the love of Jesus Christ that He has given for you. This is what the Bible teaches. But there is a personal responsibility. I've had couples sit in my office and... And I've had to tell them, I said, now listen, if you had worked as hard at learning to hate each other, if you would work as hard, 
as you have at learning to hate each other, to learn to love each other, you'd have the most wonderful marriage in the world. But it's something you have to work at. There is labor for each of us to do. And let me tell you, there are rewards for that labor. You read what Jesus talks about heaven. He talks about rewards. He talks about crowns that will be handed out. He talks about the joy that will be there. He talks about exhibiting individual Christians as trophies of His grace. Meaning that He's going to tell the story of our life and what He did and everyone is going to look at God and say, what a wonderful God. Now that's what the Bible talks about. And we get to be a little part of that by being obedient to Him. But God has a system that enforces His will. If we choose to ignore the Bible and make unbiblical decisions, we're going to reap that bitter harvest. Now, let me explain how it often works. Is a person will grow up maybe in an unsaved home, a home where the Bible is not taught, and, and they begin reaping the rewards of those things planted in their life and sorrow and heartache and broken promises and shattered dreams and someone opens up the Bible and shows them how they can have forgiveness of their sins and they come to Christ and accept Him as their Savior. The only problem is there's some bad seed still in the field that hasn't come to harvest yet. Now God doesn't go out and mow down all the bad seeds. Because there's this law of reaping and sowing. But what you have to do is start putting the good seed in. And as you start planting the good seed, that good harvest starts coming in and eventually it's going to move over from the bitter harvest to the good harvest. That's the law of reaping and sowing. You can't get past it. Because God in His love for us is not going to just do everything for us so that we become this mindless little slave that shows up when God puts the food plate out. We're not animals. We were created in His image. He wants us to use our minds to think but not to think our own ways to get around His ordinances and His laws, but to think how that we may obey them so that we can put ourselves in a place where we can begin to reap that harvest of good things, even in this lifetime. You know what? Sometimes we can't go back and get the years that we've lost. But let's not lose the years we haven't lost crying over the years that we have lost. Let's take that effort. And when we take that effort and start putting it in to God's Word and obedience 
and we start seeing those little things, there is a reward there, there is a remuneration and gives us courage to keep going on serving Christ. How many of you have ever tried to fight fire with fire? Please don't do that at home. You normally should fight fire with a fire extinguisher. Amen? Uh, not always with water. Sometimes water doesn't work. But you get out a fire extinguisher and it, it works. Um, but what I'm talking about is in the human realm, you get somebody that's got it in for you and, and you say, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. And it just goes on and gets more painful and more sorrow. Jesus has a cure for that. He says, love your enemies. Well, how do you do that? Well, number one is you give them the gospel. Amen? Because only through the forgiveness of sin can they lay aside the bitterness and hatred in their heart toward another human being, i.e. you. We have dealt with some huge ideals today. Trying to boil them down to make just a little bit of practical application. I want you to pray because I might continue this in the next several weeks trying to develop it a little more. Kind of an overview here. But God gives us what we cannot get. Salvation, forgiveness of sins. He allows us to labor for Him and to provide spiritual benefits from ourselves according to His Word. And He has developed a system that enforces that behavior. It's called the law of reaping and sowing because even if a Christian who serves God with their life, decides that they're going to turn around and live for the world for a period of time, they're going to reap the benefits of what they've done. And it's going to be heartache, and it's going to be despair, and it's going to be many of the same things that the unsaved world brings in because sin always destroys. How many of you have ever tried to get away with telling just one little lie. And then you had to cover it up with another one. And before you knew it, you were telling whoppers that nobody would believe. You didn't even believe yourself. But you told them anyway because you were in so deep you couldn't get out. That's just an illustration of what happens in that law of sowing and reaping. You never cause anything good to happen by sinning. Never happens. You see, look at verse 9. And this is God's challenge to us. It says here in verse 9 of Galatians chapter 6, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let me ask you a question. Can you trust God? enough 
to let him handle the harvest he has promised. Amen? If you have little children, you know one thing. They are a handful. They are a lot of work. Somebody said, don't you ever get a break? Not if you're raising children, you don't. There is no vacation because the very moment you give up is the very moment they could have learned what you've been struggling so long to teach them. Don't ever give up. You keep on those kids all the time. Even when they get to be teenagers. And maybe when they get big, they'll call you up from college as my oldest boy did his first semester and said, Dad, I just want to thank you for being so mean to me. <laughs> you know what? Let me tell you, that was harvest day for me. You know what that does? That makes me want to be even more mean to all the rest of them. <laughs> and we're not talking about just being mean. You know what I'm saying. You never give up being a parent. And it works the same in your service for Christ. History is full. One, day, one of these Sundays I'd love to preach on, and I have just a little bit on the unsung heroes or the silent heroes. You know, for every well-known hero we have, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of no-name, unwritten, unknown people who have made possible what that one hero did. That's what Judgment Day is for the Christian, my friend. You know what? Our church needs people will just literally invest their lives in praying for what goes on in our church. God will reward that even more than being a preacher because the preacher can't be the preacher if he doesn't have people praying for him. You say, all I do is I come and I show up and I... You know what? When you come and you show up, you encourage other people to do the same. Amen? It's the little things that God isn't concerned with, is concerned with. That's why I said even a cup of cold water given in my name, that person shall not lose their reward. And, and if you'll find out <clears throat> and really look at life, we try to divide life up into the big things and the little things now, don't we? But you know what the truth is? There's no such thing as a little thing. It's the little things that really cause the big problems. You don't understand. She cannot squeeze the toothpaste tube from the end. It's got to be in the middle. People fight over those things. And I'm sitting here going, it's only a tube of toothpaste. Come on. But you don't understand. 
No, and I don't want to either. Amen? But you know something? Why does that become an issue? It's not because of the toothpaste tube. It's because one will not bend the will to the other. And that's not a little thing. That's huge. Now what I'm asking you to do today is to bend your will to the Father. You see, He has provided for you what you cannot obtain. He has promised you the rewards of your labor. And He has also instituted a system that's going to keep you in that service for Him if you will not faint. Now the question is, does your salvation depend on whether you faint or not? Praise God, it doesn't. But everything else does. Everything else does. Whether your kids turn out or not, that depends on whether you faint or not. Whether your marriage survives, that depends on whether you faint or not. Whether you end up broken along the byways of life, that depends on whether you faint or not. Whether you survive the persecution that you're putting up with in the life that you live, that depends on whether you faint or not. Because let me tell you, Christ has already borne the burden. He'll take you through. Will you allow God to be your philanthropist? Or are you going to, as so many people groups through history have done, try to take advantage of that gift and get what you can and can what you get and do what you want to anyway. Always ends in heartache. But if we'll take advantage of God's love to us, He'll bring us through this life. It starts with getting saved. That's putting your faith and trust in Jesus and Him alone, nothing else. I'm glad I can tell you that you have to have the issue of your salvation settled before you can become a member of our church. Church doesn't give you salvation. Jesus did and does and will if you ask Him. The issue of service, now that's where the church comes in. You serve Christ through His church. And maybe you're here today and you're ready to faint. Just reach out. God will bring you through. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord... My prayer is that all the references that were made trying to illustrate the point wouldn't cloud what is true. That, Lord, you do love us and that your love truly does benefit us if we will only allow it to. If we will only live in it and serve you the way that you have outlined in your word. We ask that during this time of invitation,
that we would be willing to surrender ourselves to you, our plans, our futures. Lord, our, my prayer is that if there be one here today that is really unsaved, that does not know you as their Savior, that today they would just surrender everything and as the publican prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner, that they would just surrender all to you. Lord, I pray for the Christians that are here today and are just struggling with the burdens and the cares and the pains of this life. Lord, that law of reaping and sowing is just coming to be. And Lord, it's not a good harvest. We ask that we would look through the pain and look to the Savior that we would bear one another's burdens and pray for one another, that we would encourage each other, but Lord, that we would also make allowances for each one, for every man to prove their own work, that they may stand in what you are doing in their personal life. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we want you to be active in each life represented here today. Lord, we ask you to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.